This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, Justin. Hey, Madras. You know, we are a podcast, so we do not uh, do that video thing. But uh, I, I, you know, I make some videos and uh, I find it to be a very powerful mechanism with, uh, you know, getting uh, getting people to really understand the nature of reality, because nothing says reality more than like a Marvel movie, <laughs> which is so so true. And, you know, you and I, we got our start on video. Let's not forget. That's right. That we like our first our first content was built on the backbone of video to the tune of like 300 views. So that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> when when you and I were suffering and we had no business opportunities, we decided to do our first marketing geeks, which was a, a review of uh, of of Taco Bell. And the last uh, five bucks you and I had put together. So <laughs> good times. Good times indeed. Good times. But you know what? You know what? Uh, I'm, I, I have to say I, I'm pretty good with video, but there are people far better than me who really understand the medium. And, uh, and, like who? Like someone we're about to bring on. And you're going to find out if you just listen a little bit longer. So uh, will you do that for me? Yeah, I better shut up. Yeah. So good, <laughs> good idea. Just keep doing that. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm under Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. Okay. Uh, yes, everybody. Uh, we have a fantastic guest. He is a communications strategist and an author and a filmmaker. And he has a company called Casual Films, which produces over 2,000 films a year for some of the world's most influential brands. He's worked in 44 countries and had their work translated into 35 languages, winning over 100 awards in the process. Uh, and uh, he has offices in London, New York, San Francisco, uh, looking at expanding into Amsterdam, this guy has uh, definitely done a lot more than than I think you and I have. And uh, <laughs> I'd like to introduce him now, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Francis. Here we go. Hey, hi, Andros. Hey, Justin. Good to be here. Hey, man. Super good to uh, have you here. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, being part of the Marketing Geeks experience. Uh, why don't you tell us, you have a really fascinating story. So why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing what you're doing and a little bit about casual films? Sure. Uh, so thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, once upon a time, I wanted to be a photojournalist um, and I started writing to back up the, the photos that I was taking as a, as a teenager um, and then I decided that I wanted to be going to journalism and, and, and um, TV journalism. It seemed like the combination of the visual and the written narrative. Um, and after doing a course in London, I started working at the BBC. Uh, and then a friend of mine and I um, uh, said we were going to do the Mongol rally, which is this rally from London to Mongolia. The idea is you do it in an old rubbish car that breaks down um, and you have an adventure. Um, so... 
you know, I was working at the BBC. I didn't want to turn my back on my job. And so um, we wrote a, a long form uh, proposal to do a documentary, which then became a series of video diaries, which we produced for Expedia, the travel website. Um, and this was sort of 2005, 2006. It was around about the time that YouTube was founded. It was like before people really thought of the internet as a medium for video. Now, with this, were you under BBC at that time? Was it were they sponsoring this trip, or were, were you parting ways as, as you did this? No, we we parted ways, which was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to have something to show for what was effectively, you know, a, a, hol- a holiday. Um, and funny enough, we it was initially a TV. Uh, proposal which we sent to all the major broadcasters in the uk and they kind of looked at it and they were like mm, we're not going to pay you to make your holiday <laughs> film what was it like uh what was it like working for bbc i'd like to just, just start there real quick i want to hear a little bit about that because that's kind of a cool um thing on your resume is that you actually worked for a broadcast news agency did you ever get to meet doctor who <laughs> uh, <laughs> no not, not yet no Damn. but you know i i, I, I you tr- could have I know I could. I know. I know he could have passed me, snuck past. Um, I walked the same corridors, I guess. You know, but there there was something incredible about being a like young runner when I first started, and like working in live news. So I worked in on BBC Breakfast News, um, and was in a studio where these two presenters are presenting to two million people a day. Um, And there's something incredibly humbling about the power of live video. And the idea that at any moment I could kind of jump out in front of the presenters and wave my arms and go, bah, and, and like, no, and it would go out to two million people and I would never, never. And, and back then that was the only option was you had to be like, you had a fancy news equipment to be able to go live. There was no go live on your phone back then. hundred percent. More gatekeepers. Yeah. 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 Completely. And you know, one of our, our, our insights really when we set casual films up, which is where we kind of got to after, after the Mongol rally, um, was that traditional production methods were just far too heavy and expensive and slow to produce the amount of content which it was becoming clear the internet was going to be able to to facilitate the sharing of. Um, you know, back then, those videos were, for anyone who kind of knows anything about resolutions, I think they were 320 by 212. Uh, pixels so they're absolutely like postage stamps basically and they took like four hours to upload i mean it was it was a, <laughs> it was a joke but like you could see the technology was moving so fast that we were going to get to a point where the internet was suddenly it like video is just such a fantastic way to communicate online and you know obviously now that's a kind of facile thing to say but back then i mean i had a conversation with a brand manager at oh no at, at unilever um, I met them at a party and I was like, you know, you should have video on every single one of your product pages. You know, you could show like recipes, you could show like information about the ingredients. And they looked at me and genuinely said, why would I ever want video on my website? <laughs> uh, so, you know, and that kind of, so that was the kind of, you know, the mind frame of, of like a lot of people when it came to video back then. Um, and, and was there a part of you, cause I, I've had that exact same experience, mm. uh, especially like, uh, you know, around the same time, uh, when I was working for, uh, and I've talked about this before when I was working for the, the, the most loved company in America, uh, hmm. which rhymes with Comcast. And, and it was, but it was the same thing. It, as soon as streaming came on, I was like, what are you guys going to do about streaming? And they're like, oh, streaming. I'm like, this is it. And that was actually, I don't know if this was the same thing for you, but was that part of your motivation to really go, I got to get into this? Well, I just want to say, 
But from a general standpoint, like don't all these companies like they just stick with what's happening now and don't look. They don't. A lot of them are not forward thinking because even social media. I mean, that's another one. Social media is like how many companies didn't want to get involved with social media because they were just saying like, oh, why would I ever want to be on Facebook? Why would I ever want to be on Twitter? Um, and now, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, they're like, oh, my God, I got to get on. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, I think <laughs> but, like yeah. Kodak had fantastic uh, digital technology back way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think one of the first digital cameras was a Kodak camera. Yeah. My understanding is they had they the first it. digital camera. Yeah. They invented yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. They invented the technology. And they all, the same when they crushed them. <laughs> Which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they honestly, they could have dominated every. They could have made that transition and, and dominated the market, yeah. uh, which is really wild. So, so um, anyway, so, so you, were, you were working for the BBC. You did this uh, journey. What was that journey like, like going across Mongolia? I mean, can you even do that today? Is that like... And what kind of car did you settle on? You said you were looking for like a really rundown car. What did you settle on? Yeah, so we did like a, a proper old school uh, 1987 Mini. So like out of the original Italian job, um, which was just mm, a terrible, okay. terrible vehicle to do in because <laughs> it's really bumpy. It's really small. And how many people were in it? Two of us. Oh, my God. Um, and I think the, the thing that we said the most was, have you seen the, because like it was so full of stuff that you put down the camera or you put down the tape you're just doing, because we're doing like linear, uh, well, we're having to ingest all the tape in real time. It's not digital. Um, it was just, it was really not, not good. Um, <laughs> and, and were you, were you filming just, just thinking like, well, we'll do something with this footage, I guess. Yeah. So that was the funny thing was we, we didn't lose the idea of doing the feature length documentary until pretty much after we got back, it, you know, all the way through we were shooting, thinking, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to make a, a, you know, 60, 90 minute film out of this. Um, and it was really when, and, and we were kind of making the video diaries just to sort of, to pay our way. Um, Expedia gave us 40,000 us or 25,000 pounds. And how did you approach them? Uh, so we were initially, uh, going to get some backing from another travel company who, um, they had some management changes and things changed and they basically pulled out on us at the last minute. And so my business partner, Barnaby said, well, who's their biggest competitor? and sent it to Expedia. And um, yeah, with about two weeks later, we get an email back saying, hey, I've read your proposal, come in and meet me. Um, and we just went in as like two kids. I think we were like 22. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and we were sitting in front of the marketing director and he's like, right, okay. And he's got this big whiteboard and drawing all these arrows on it. And he's like, right, so who are you guys? And what are you doing? And this and that. And we, we were just completely blinded thinking, you know, we've come in here to ask for a couple of grand. And he's like, I want to own this. And we, we were like, uh, own what? The, 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 the videos? The, and he goes, okay, you know, what, what are we talking? Like, how much? And the other, the other company had offered us $10,000. And so I just thought, well, I'll double it and then add a little bit and then, like, <laughs> do the conversion. So in, uh, 25, well, the other company have offered us £20,000. And he went, 25 grand done and i just thought damn like you know i could i could have gone 50 i could have gone i don't know <laughs> oh yeah. man yeah but but, and it, but we you know they gave us a load of money and we you know we also we got the experience of going and making these films which was which was tough in the car you know like we're driving it's like nine thousand miles uh in five weeks the car kept breaking down um and we're like editing on a 
an old Mac laptop, which oh just couldn't God. handle HDV. It was. And are you splitting this 50-50 too? Uh, well, I was doing most of the filmmaking. Um, yeah. My Barnaby was doing um, like shooting and like helping kind of organizing the production stuff. Okay, so he was more like an employee of yours. Uh, and let me guess, you you had to buy, you had to spend like $1,000 for a hard drive that was like, what, 40 gigs, 50 gigs? Yeah, I mean, like if that. And I mean, we also had, we had a satellite internet connection. Yeah. And I think it was... If my memory serves me right, it's like forty pounds a megabyte to do to do the to do the upload. Oh my god! Um, well, I mean, this was a five week project too. So by the time you do all this, you're not really making that much money at the end of the day. No. But it's still a lot of money from a as far as like a contract goes. It's still a big deal, especially as your first contract. Yeah, and we, you know, we we the thing is, we kind of we needed to stay in hotels just to be able to edit. Like, you know, you, I think yeah. a lot of people have like slept under trees and stuff and we did yeah, stay in tents once or twice, but just, it was just, it was hard. Like it's funny because Expedia gave us the money on the Monday before we left on the Saturday. So we were like ordering, we spent, you know, probably 8,000 oh pounds on like camera kit and other stuff uh, in a couple of days. And then we're waiting, it's all being delivered. And then on the Friday night, we had a big leaving party in London and everyone went out and, you know, had a big bash. And then, I mean, I think we had like three hours sleep, went to Hyde Park where we were leaving from and then drove out. And as part of the PR that Expedia had done, they got us to do this survival training with a guy called Andy McNabb, who was like the the original like SAS (laughs) author. He wrote Bravo to Zero. He's like uh, like sort of SEAL team um, author. So it's like a full-on reality show before reality television. It was so bizarre. It was so, so bizarre for these two kids who thought, oh, yeah, we're going to go and do this, do this, make these films and then have this adventure. Um, Uh, Can you still do that? Do they still do this thing? Uh, they, the last time I checked, they do. Yeah. I mean, it, it's slightly changed because the, uh, Mongolian government got a bit bored with people just dumping old cars in, in Mongolia. And so you like the cars, (laughs) the cars have to have, yeah, you know, sort of 200 people driving to Mongolia every day, every year with like some old cars and dumping them. Yeah. They were just leaving them there. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people leaving there. And then you, so you like, you know, they have to not be quite as rubbish as they were before because, they won't let them in the country. But it it was, a, you know, we learned a lot of stuff. I mean, the amazing thing about it, I think, or one of the things was just firstly how friendly and kind people were, like inviting us into their houses, giving us food, like the whole way from, you know, we drove through uh, Belgium, France, Germany, through Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Turkey, uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan, across the Caspian wow. Sea, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, this was 2006, right? You said around there. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of, I mean, there were people who went through Iran. Um, I don't, you know, there probably aren't that many people doing that this year. But um, <laughs> no, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was an incredible experience, and it was kind of. It was a great way to set a company up as well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. It's like seed money while you're having this adventure. Yeah. So did did uh, did do you still have that footage? Yeah, we do. We've got um, so the the videos. I had a lot more hair, um, as did Barnaby. Um, and we were sort of a bit younger and a bit more sort of idiotic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, we've got, uh, 130 hours of footage on old HDV tapes, mini DV tapes. Man, you know, what would be awesome is, is take that journey again and, (laughs) and like, like just 
you know, cut back and forth between what you shot then yeah. and uh, what you shot now. What a, see how it's changed. Yeah, exactly. Well, and how you've changed, you know, that would be a, a hell of a journey. Yeah. Uh, so, so basically you, you start and, and on that trip, I mean, did you know that you were going to get into video like on that trip? Was this like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Uh, so we, we didn't have a radio. So we spent, we drove the whole way to, and just talked the whole way, which is kind of cool. Um, and we did talk about it. We, you know, we talked about how we, you know, we could come back and try it. But then, you know, we got back and um, the my uh, Barnaby went back to he was doing a club promotion, so he went back and was doing that. And then, and I uh, went back to the BBC, um, and we just it just seemed like that was just the coolest thing that you know we had a real opportunity. We had some cameras, we had a couple of grand. We had this great client, and we also had this insight that the internet was going to be this massive medium for video. Now, did Expedia end up using any of your footage, or like what what happened with the Expedia in this at the end? So that went on. They created a, a sort of sub sub page on their on their uh, website. So, and it, you know, it was pretty out there. The idea that people would go to a website for a reason that wasn't just purchasing the product. Yeah. Um, and that was something that Expedia really liked, that they could align themselves with people who, you know, they called us our blue sky, their blue sky travelers. Because YouTube um, wasn't really a thing when, when you no, did this. Right. No, it wasn't. No. So YouTube was founded um, December 2005. Mm-hmm. So it was still like, you know, ty- like, yeah, it yeah, just wasn't a thing. early rendition of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were lucky because they had had uh, this uh, woman who had won their kind of blue sky traveler challenge and she had been sent all over the world for i think a couple of years and the journey like the map she'd been everywhere absolutely everywhere and written loads of content about it and taken photos but they were starting to realize that they should have video and so they said to her hey you know can you start shooting some video and they showed us some of the stuff she'd shot and you know i'm sure her writing was excellent but her video was terrible like I mean, literally, the, the 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 example they showed us was her uh, at a fruit stand, and she's like, going, "Oh, look at how great these pineapples are and these mangoes," and this, and she's literally filming up into the roof of this like <laughs> shack, and it's just like it's unusable. But it was it, it was our major opportunity because we didn't have a huge amount of showreel, but we had shown that we were willing to that we wanted to use video. And so we were just incredibly lucky that we kind of came, our proposal landed at a time when they'd established that they needed to be sharing video, but it, they were at such a basic level that it kind of didn't matter that we didn't have the kind of plaudits that you you know you definitely need to win something like that now. Yeah, and it was probably just the alignment of the stars because the the guy you were you you pitched mm. probably also saw the magic of video and saw this as an opportunity to take advantage of that. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you came back, you, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey. You go into the, to the, to the realms, the underworld, you come back with the knowledge, but you go back to the village with the knowledge, but you can never really go home again. So mm. there you are back at work. You've had this amazing experience. Now what? So we then started looking for other people we could make films for. Um, so we, Kept going back to Expedia. We pitched them that we could canoe down the Amazon and make a series of films about that. We pitched riding across the States on Harley Davidson's. Um, and the marketing manager, who was one rung by low, the, um, the uh, marketing director who'd kind of like brought us in under his wing, 
um, basically took us, he was the same age as us or very sort of similar age. And he took us to one side and he's like, boys, it's like, you've had your fun. <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> you know, we're not going to, we're not going to pay you to go and have these like holidays of a lifetime anymore. Um, but, but the funny thing was the, the creative director, every time we got to the end of a meeting where we would go in and show him all these amazing ideas, all these ideas that we'd come up with, he'd go, mm, these aren't quite right boys, but if you have any other ideas, do let me know, which is like, which now it's kind of like, it's really obvious that that's just a massive fob off right. but at, the, <laughs> at the time, because we were just naive and kids, we, we were like, oh, okay. So every time we would um, go back with more ideas um, and we pitched, you know, putting sound effects on the site for like lapping water. So when you're on a, a web page, which is like selling a, a Hawaiian holiday, then you'd have lapping water, you could, and, you know, and then like also having little video, um so all the images on the site could just be like roll looping video um which you know was yeah just i mean either a, a good idea or a bad idea or just a bit ahead of its time um, yeah but you were you're trying stuff out you're you know yeah um yeah. but anyway it's a sort of long story short we um we made uh some films for hotels like you know shooting video of like hotels and beds and stuff for like Forty dollars a day, I think, which was not. Were these cold calls or cold emails back then? Like, how how were you um, um, reaching out to these companies? These were cold calls. Cold calls. Okay. Um, yeah, um, and uh, then we did backstage videos for bands. So we were kind of like li living in London, North London, and we knew people in bands. So we were like, oh well, let's make some backstage videos. And then we realised that they don't have any money. And basically, anyone who has got any money has generally got some kind of hanger on you know, cousin or something who, who makes their videos. It's like, it's um, like that old joke. What do you call a musician without a girlfriend? Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so and it's funny because, uh, I, you know, I was doing video myself for a while and I went through that route where I'm like, I'm going to make music videos. And then it's like, mm. Oh, these, these fuckers don't have money. God damn it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. So what, so, so, but, but then you just persisted and eventually the business just grew. So, well, so we kept, so we persisted. We, you know, kept cold calling. Uh, we won a job um, to film a conference for arm, the microprocessor people, uh, which was like $8,000. And we, we just genuinely, we couldn't believe it. We took the guy who made the call out for lunch just you know <laughs> we were so it was like eight grand they're gonna spend eight grand i think at the beginning we were kind of making films for you know a few hundred dollars and then uh, a few hundred pounds really in the uk um but then we did a we pitched to a uh, recruitment advertising agency so for a certain size of company they have enough money to put behind each new recruit but that you can actually you know when you get to sort of hundreds or thousands of people who need to be recruited you actually get a decent budget and so it's worth putting like money behind it's worth having a proper campaign um and that's where you know i mean the most sort of uh, obvious example of that is is uh like the, the you see the military recruitment adverts but you know but all you know all large, large professional services firms all sorts of companies have recruitment budgets so they go to these recruitment advertising agencies um and we pitched one of those we made an animation for this company um and that then won best work at the recruitment advertising awards mm. and it was the second year that they'd had video best video as a category and it the, our film won the best video category but then it also won like the grand prix and it was a time when everyone in the industry was thinking hey we need to be using video more 
and these are the people who've made this film that's just won. And, it, you know, it's, it's a lovely little film even now. So what was, uh, uh, tell me about the awards process. Is it, did, you have to, did you have to nominate yourself to get in there? Like, what, how did you get into the awards consideration? So we did that through an agency. So the agency, that was an established pathway for them. They entered the film um, and um, it you know, it then goes forward to a panel. I mean, they're incredibly rigorous, the Recruitment Advertising Awards. I've sat on a number of different awards panels and they are, you know, probably the the, the most rigorous. Um, and they sit in the room, they discuss them, they kind of horse trade around, you know, which one should should win. Um, and so, yeah, to win best work is 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 an incredible um, uh, accolade. Yeah. And, it, and it, re- it really differentiated us at a time when the industry was just really opening up. Um, and then we started doing more work. The, the phone calls into all the other recruitment advertising agencies on the Monday after the awards due on the Thursday, uh, didn't make a lot of calls on the Friday, um, was, uh, were, they were really easy. Like everyone, you know, it was back when people answered the phone and, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you come in. And then we'd come in, we'd show them our work. And the benefit, I guess, early on of us having no real clue about things like budgeting and timeframes and stuff is that we just put, put all the money into making the films. And if someone gave us five grand, then we'd pretty much spend, you know, five grand. Um, <laughs> and which, which, which was difficult because it means you kind of, you cannibalize them as a potential future client, but it means that you then get work for your show reel, which just gl- gleams. Yeah. Um, and, and for the first probably five years of our of, of our working. Um, Sorry, so you say you kind of lock yourself into that budget for the future, like yeah. every film's going to be 5,000. Exactly. It's like, oh, well, you did that for five grand or 20 grand or whatever. But you're building this huge uh, showcase of films from a big name client. So that if you're thinking long term, that's a very good strategy. But if you're thinking short term, not so good. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were also, we were in our 20s. Um, you know, if we couldn't pay ourselves, you know, I think we paid ourselves uh like very little for like the first five years i mean pretty much as little as we could and it was it was was hard but then it just meant the company grew um and and were you doing most of the editing uh yes so initially but then we you know we started to recruit people and the company started to grow um so we started to get special were you cutting on uh using like premiere and after effects mostly yeah we used premiere initially um now we use adobe creative suite just Uh because it's easy to kind of round trip between all the different platforms um yeah i i love adobe creative suite except uh i don't love how it crashes every 20 minutes <laughs> yeah well I, yeah that's true but then you know it used to crash used to crash a lot more <laughs> yeah, that's true that's, uh, that's, you know that's true also well you know that process of through growing the business a lot of people have said to us oh you know come and do this job and make no money but in the future we're going to give you a load more work i you know one piece of advice i would say is like you you never ski back uphill and it's a bit like you know you go out and you meet some nice potential spouse and you sleep with them on the first night it's it, you know and then you marry her and then you, and then you marry her and you live happily ever after you know, <laughs> it worked possibly. out well on my count yeah yeah possibly you know but but also you know it, it can be very difficult to ski back uphill basically yeah as a as a filmmaker friend of mine said uh once never work on spec uh, because you can't spec to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I heard this and I'm probably going to butcher this analogy, but basically 
if you're pitching yourself as like the Walmart of your industry and then you want to transition and become like the highest end Tiffany's of your industry, it's it's not a very smooth transition because the clients that you've attracted in the beginning are attracted to you for the low budget. And now all of a sudden it's mm. like, oh, now I want to charge tons of money. So yeah, it, yeah. It, it's uh, it's a much better approach to start high. Um, how, but however, you do have to build some credibility. So uh, in, the, in yeah. the sense that if you're going low, it needs to be like only the first set of clients are going to get this. And then and then I have to like either rebrand or, or move in a different direction. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so what was the turning point when you like said, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to go for the big bucks. And you decided you were going to uh, charge way more money. What, what was that uh, transition? I think because we made these films of a, of a, a, a high standard, and this was kind of one of our insights really was like using modern technology, uh, you know, camcorders and laptops, um, you, and a bit of creativity, uh, you can make really, really high quality work and you don't need a 25 strong crew and, you know, hundred thousand pounds or dollars a, a shoot day to produce stuff that's really high quality. Right. Um, and one of the benefits of us spending all the money on the films when we first set up was that we had films that looked like they would be, had been made for far more money. Um, and it just meant that we, you know, when we started talking about making films for $25,000, $50,000, we could go, oh, well, you know, this is kind of what we're talking about. And people would look at it. And when we first, so just to get this sort of chronology right, we, we won the best work again uh, a couple of years later for another film that we made. This time it was live action video. The first one was animation. Um, and then, so because we were then working with a lot of the major uh, agencies, all of their clients are fairly blue chip because you've got kind of got to be a blue chip client to, to have a recruitment advertising budget. So you had a very kind of glossy client list. And it meant that when we moved over to New York and we started having conversations about setting up in New York, um, we had this glossy client list. We have we were working with a number of agencies who have presences in in the US, uh, so they can do intros for us. But also, we just had a very clear offer because if you're recruiting a young banker in London, your messaging is going to be pretty similar to recruiting a young banker in New York or or wherever. And so we could go into these. Um, pitch meetings and say, you know, this is what we've done for this company. This is how much they paid us, blah, blah, blah. And people just welcomed us with open arms. Um, And that was kind of one of the reasons why we, in 2011, we were able to, to um, yeah, set up here and, and, and and to really start to grow, grow our presence in the U S. Yeah. And so, so you mostly were doing like these types of uh, industrial recruiting videos and uh, those types of, those types of films. Yeah. So that, you know, back then that probably made up about two thirds of our, of our work. And then the rest was um, we did a lot of kind of explainers back then. Mm -hmm. So we did some work with Samsung, like showing how to, when you buy a TV shows you like a little video with animated overlays that shows you how to um, set your TV up, for example. Um, So when did you get more into like the, branding through video and storytelling for brands through video like when did when did that start becoming a bigger part of the business or i mean or in some ways it was all along but like yeah when did you make that more of like an overt part of how, like how you're pitching these companies too yeah uh i think it, it it was kind of out of necessity really in that once upon a time it was enough to have a video 
And then as mm-hmm. competition increases, as the amount of content that's being shared online increases, um, you then have to start kind of making a good video. And it has to be very focused, you know, you have very clear on what you're trying to achieve with it, very clear on who the audience are um, and what is the value that that video is bringing to them. And so we had to evolve as a business because, it, you know, it's it's been quite an interesting transition because 10, 15 years ago, it was enough to own a camera and an editing suite because the camera cost a hundred thousand and the editing suite cost a hundred thousand. And like, that's a major barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you can shoot HD video, 4k, 4k video on your phone and edit it and upload it. You can do what, what, a, what, a, you know, full production company slash studio yeah. did 20 years ago on your, on your phone in five minutes. It's, am- it's amazing. In fact, you know, what, <laughs> what's crazy is uh, I have a really good DSLR camera. I like to use it, but uh, the, the quality that I get from my cell phone, which shoots in 4K, it's the software that makes it, you know, it, it refines it and makes it look super uh, great. And I hate to say it, but I actually like shooting with my phone better than anything because it's just so convenient. It's right there. The quality is always good. Uh, and it, it does. It looks like a $100,000 camera. Uh, yeah. You know, and well, it's, they say, you know, they, they say it's a kind of an old truism, but um, from way before phones, but the, the best camera is the one you have on you. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, we've all got like really, really great cameras on us all the time. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, we were working with with Canon um, in the UK, the camera company. Um and about like five, six years ago, they were just saying, it is game, game over for cameras. Um, so when, when you're working with companies now, like what, what are they looking for in, in video? Like what, what kind of projects like now are you taking on with your company mm-hmm. um, and your company's casual films? Yeah. So, so what, like what, what does that look like if you're, if you're approaching like a, and you're working with Fortune 2,000 uh, 2, companies, uh, I believe you said? Well, so um, Global 2,000, so Fortune 500 um, and FTSE 100. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real blend. So, uh, about 50% of it is employer communications still. So that could be anything from, uh, attraction videos, so recruitment videos and, in, and, and, and onboarding so that when you're joining a company, it can help to educate you around different entry mm-hmm. points and what the different roles entail. Um, how many sexual harassment videos have you had to do? <laughs> uh, that is a good question. We, we there is a client that we have made films like that for, but they are very touchy about us talking about it. But yeah, you, yeah, yeah uh, you know, we do we do lots of films around you know, um, what is racial discrimination? Yeah, you know? um, and it can be one of the really interesting things about being a filmmaker working for uh, corporates uh, is that you become a specialist. You know, our animators are specialists in like tax compliance. <laughs> because they make these films, you know, we do a lot of work for like big, big business services firms, like accountancy firms, uh, and they're communicating around how different tax changes affect different types of businesses. And animation is a really effective way of doing that because you can show at the same time it's telling. Um, and so, yeah, these poor animators are just there like banging out <laughs> compliance films. Um, I mean, a really big proportion of our work, though, is... Um, telling the stories of our clients' customers. So we do a lot of work with GoDaddy, um, and uh, they want to show the types of businesses and entrepreneurs that are able to live their kind of entrepreneurial journey 
through their relationship with GoDaddy. Um, and they're lovely films because they're, they're all, uh, it's looking at, uh, you know, people who set up taco trucks or um, uh, jewelry businesses, and, it, and it's kind of sharing their entrepreneurial story um, on the GoDaddy YouTube channel. And the idea is that people can go there, they can be inspired, and then there's like a load of content on there, which would be, you know, how to register a company, how to pick a tax advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of, they're, it's sort of different tranches of content to do slightly different things. It's so, more like documentary style. Yeah. GoDaddy's interesting because, like, they're to me, they're not the best hosting platform out there, but they were, like, the first ones to get mainstream attention through running, like, Super mm-hmm. Bowl television ads back when the Super Bowl ads were a thing still, <laughs> or still a major thing. And they uh, and they just, they put tons of money into advertising and video, and they were ahead, of, they were, they're, uh, they're mm-hmm. in front of all that. Uh, but there's, like, there's better priced hosting platforms. There's other platforms that I think are better in general, but GoDaddy is the best at marketing them. Yeah, they're, doing, they're doing some really interesting stuff with their, with their content marketing, and I think they're really, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're one to watch um, for sure. So let me, let me ask you this question. You, uh, how do you approach a job when you, when you land a client, let's say they call you or you call them or whatever, uh, do, do people mostly call you now? Is that, uh, we get a lot, a lot of referrals. Yeah. Uh, okay. we, and return, reach probably return repeat customers. Repeat. Yeah. So, so about 85% repeat. How big's your team? Uh, so we're 50 people, 50 people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you, when you approach a job, how, how what's, tell me the process Everything from like, okay, you got the job, you're meeting with the client, mm-hmm. you look at the product. What's your whole process on how you figure out how to tell the story and all the way to like when you're filming to, to completion? How many team members on a job, like one, like a, a sample job? Uh, so uh, the team is made up of, uh, we have a, a, a series of different teams of seven people, like between five, five and eight people. Um, and each of those are led by an executive producer who are like a, it's like an account director, if you like, um, from a traditional agency. Um, and we try and keep all the work within that unit. So rather than we, we, once upon a time, we had a pre-production department, we, we had creative, then we had production, then we had post-production and the workflow would kind of flow through the business. And the challenge with that was there was just too much communication between the different departments. There was too much potential for people to point fingers at, you know, mm-hmm. who dropped the ball or whatever. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and Post always wanted to be in on the initial conversation and the creatives always kind of bemoaned the, the work that the animators had done because it wasn't quite how they'd pick, you know. And you got that one douchebag who feels left out if they're not CC'd on the email right. and then they send that passive-aggressive email like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And so if we, we just have this seven-person team led by the executive producer and then underneath them might be a couple of producers, an editor, a filmmaker, and the idea is that that they all know what everyone else is doing they can work with a number of different clients. So if it's a bigger job, the EP would lead on it. If it's a slightly smaller job, maybe a producer or an assistant producer might lead on it. And they just keep each other honest. And it's kind of remarkable how, you know, when you're growing a team, if you put people, I always used to think that it was as long as the person was doing work that paid for their salary and paid for them to be there, that was enough. And actually, I think what's really important is, is average quality and every new hire you make has to improve the average quality of your team because you all of a sudden everyone else pulls their socks up and gets better but also people who aren't so strong on the team 
cost time and effort for the people who are good. And people just, they, like they do, they work to the lowest common denominator. And we've seen it many times where, you know, you bring a new editor in who's like really got the skills and, you know, all your old hands who've been kind of dialing it in for a while suddenly go, oh, okay. You know, and, and the level of the, of the, of the, of the production just suddenly increases. Well, so different, you- different analogy, but like when I, I started my career in insurance mm-hmm. um, and I was doing insurance sales and I, I remember, um, at first, my, my first job actually wasn't insurance sales, it was insurance customer service. And I, I quickly found out, like, I, I came in there and was taking twice as many calls as everybody else in the office and, like, was, like, over-delivering. And, and instead of getting rewarded for it, there was no reward. I just had my other coworkers bemoan me yeah. and get mad because I made them look bad. And, and, it's, and then it's easy to then all of a sudden drop off and fall to that lowest common denominator, what you're talking about. And, and if, you don't, if you don't take care of those people that... that are are doing that to the high achievers then it, it'll kill the motivation and the whole thing falls down and soon i was just doing average work and feeling miserable so i mean yeah. I'm just, that's that's happening all over the world all over every company yeah uh, i do want to get back to andres's question though because uh, yeah, I do want cool, to hear sure. too, when, when yeah the workflow yeah, the how, work, does, yeah. how does the workflow work now so so we get a lead in um which will either come through the website or through a referral um or through a, uh, we do email marketing as well um, and then we'd have a kickoff call with the client where we would establish uh, what they're trying to achieve. So we go through a briefing document that's got, you know, what are the objectives of the project? Uh, what is the background? Who are the target audience? Uh, what is some of the work that they've seen that they might like or feel is right? Um, and we would then go away and come back to them with uh, three different creative ideas um which would might have different time frames attached to them and also different budgets so do you, client, do you have like like uh sh- like uh storyboards or do you just have like a document that just kind of lists the ideas uh it, it depends on the project um because yeah if 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 the project's of a, of a reasonable scale or if it's like if it's animated we try to do storyboards because you you want to try and reduce the amount of surprises um and i think you know it's, it's one of the challenges really for for a production company of, of re, any reasonable scale is like how do we ju- if if people can make a really high quality film with their with their phone why why should they pay us 20 30 40,000 like what are we doing um and like you know no surprises absolute security on the final delivery um and just a very smooth workflow so they know where they're at all the way through um so yeah, so we'll share these ideas. The client will then say, "Oh, well, I like that one," or you know, "I'd, I'd like to do this. I'd like to. I like it to be animated, but then maybe I'd like to include an interview with our CEO at the at the outset or whatever." Um, we would then go away, plan the production, um, and have a shoot or do the animation. Send them the initial cut. They can then feedback on that, and we work through a series of rounds of amends. I mean, we say that everyone gets two rounds of amends, but in reality, you know, as long as, you know, it's, it's yeah. not taking drastically too long. And then we would get to a place where they're, where they're happy with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've made over 10,000 films over the years, wow. and, which is kind of crazy. And when you think that we came to it as, you know, we were just two kids in a cam- with a camcorder in a, in a mini, we had no idea about making films, really. I mean, I did some production work when I was at the BBC, but I didn't certainly didn't understand the mechanics of making sort of these corporates. And the good thing about that is, it's we've we've refined our process to be absolutely fit for t- for for um, 
fit for the purpose. Um, so, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes and we're their mistakes, hopefully, that we're not going to make again. What, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you think you've, you've, you've made? If you can go back in time and tell your younger self, what would, yeah. what would be those mistakes? Um, so I think the, 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 the big crashing mistake, which frankly nearly killed the company, was when we were winning all those, you know, we just won these awards and everyone wanted to work with us. And, and I think because I came to it as a filmmaker and because we came to it as filmmakers, um, we thought, well, if the final film is amazing... You know, if it's like really glossy and exciting and wonderful, then the process to get there kind of doesn't matter because they're going to see the film, they're going to have their socks blown off by it. And what we realise is actually the process is, is actually probably more important than the final delivery, certainly for the client, because if they're telling their boss they're going to have it on Friday and then you give them a ring on Friday afternoon to say, oh, really sorry, I'll get it to you Monday, it makes them look, people hate that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like the, getting the process to get to the final delivery right, it being more important than the delivery itself. Because frankly, if it's been a nightmare, they don't even want to see the film, um, mm. you know. And and I think when we set up, we, we didn't have spreadsheets. We were, we were doing it in our heads. I mean, it's so, it's so kind of naive and ridiculous in a way. Um, but yeah, we've sort of managed the process and, and um, luckily we managed to pull it back. We had, there was a point where we had problem projects with every single one of our, major clients, um, hmm. which for any business is not an ideal situation to be in. But, yeah. um, you know, so when we started using things like spreadsheets and getting a bit more <laughs> professionalized and... Um, so, so like the, the touch points that you have with your clients, like the communication is mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's like more important than the actual piece of work that gets delivered. If the alternative is that you're you're you know you're delivering a masterpiece, but that but you're it's it's two weeks late and the yeah. communication's been terrible, and yeah. so so it's kind of just like the way that you frame the expectations in in a lot of mm -hmm. ways and kind of like framed like these are the deadlines and whether or not you kept to those, right? Yeah, and you know we're like we're a services business ultimately. Yeah, you right? still have to have quality work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but 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 I guess the point is um, there are. There are a thousand. So apparently there are 10,000 production companies in the US um, right now. I would say, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, at least 10 percent of those could produce you like really, really, really high quality work, probably mm -hmm. more. Right. The differentiator is not the quality of the work, because frankly, you go to any any website for any production, decent production company and the work will look lovely and they'll have lots of good clients. The thing that really differentiates us or, you know, what we try to focus on is, is making sure that we hire people who are the very best because they then give our clients the best possible experience. Um, and then the work as well is, you know, hopefully tangibly of a better or of a standard where they're able to say, yeah, that's, you know, that's good. Where do you find people mostly? It's probably the, our biggest challenge as a business. Um, is finding finding good people we use uh, so we've been using zip recruiter mm -hmm. um which has been really useful um that kind of um aggregates uh, um your ad across the across and the do, internet. do you have a physical office space in san francisco or um uh, yeah so we've got studio like big studios in or big i mean you know two thousand square foot studio in london four thousand in new york uh we just moved into an office in la i mean about three days before we had to move out of it. Oh. Um, and then we were in a WeWork in, uh, in San Francisco. Okay. Um, so, 
Yeah. Fantastic. So, so, uh, so tell me like, first of all, have you thought about doing your own piece of work, like maybe a narrative or have you thought about just making your own movie or are you just pretty That's happy? Interesting. So it's funny you say that. Um, there have been a couple of times and you know, I'm still, I still got plenty of life ahead of me. When I look back on the things that I regret, the two videos that I didn't end up making, um, which because there was just no money at the time. And I wish I just, there was one on the Uyghurs in Western China, uh, mm. who were like the Muslim, um, like majority uh, Chinese. Uh, and we were going to go and make a film about them back in sort of 2005, around about the same time as the Mongol rally. Um, and I just didn't do it. And like now, obviously, that's such a kind of hot topic. Um, yeah. And then the other one was a documentary about um, these Buddhist monks uh, in Myanmar who are being, I mean, uh, like di- perpetrating the most terrible atrocities on the local Muslim population. Um, and it was kind of back, it was when it was just kind of starting and we we were going to go and do that and we didn't have any money. But now, interestingly, I was having dinner with some friends of mine the other night um, and they said, hey, we want to make this film about a, a cowboys because um, my friend's uncle was a rodeo cowboy um and i thought wow you know um and so we've been looking into that so we're currently um doing a bit of pre-production um on a film about rodeo cowboys oh how neat Mm. yeah so um so well tell me and so you wrote actually wrote a book about Mm -hmm. this whole subject yeah um and uh and the book is called the new fire which uh, you can get on uh, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harness the power of video for your business. Tell us a little bit about the book and and what what you go into there. Sure. Um, so about ten years in, I realised that there was just a real knowledge gap. Um, not so much with the people that we were working with directly in the companies we work with, but in the senior executive team, um, because video has kind of happened so fast, or like you know, modern online video has happened so fast. A lot of those people just they just don't don't get it, um, and I it came to a head. I was in uh, I was pitching to a big pet food company in Switzerland. There were like forty people in the room, um, and I was telling them all the different things they could do. They had some fantastic stories to tell. And at the end of the meeting, the uh, guy who organised it came up and said to me, "Look, I completely agree with you, but uh, my boss, if I give him an advert that has any of this stuff in it, um, he just wants the logo. Wants to open on the logo." He wants the housewife to say, "Oh, I, you know, I give Tiddles this pet, this brand of pet food because it makes her coat so shiny." And it's just like, "Oh, I, I thought you were going with another place when you started that sentence." <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, what kind so, of advertising campaign is this? Like, my gosh. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so I started writing the book. The reason it's called the New Fire is because um, our our understanding of the world is completely underpinned by our ability to communicate stories. Um, and at about uh, 400,000 years ago, when we first harnessed fire, um, we were it did two things. Firstly, it lengthened the day, because without fire, you kind of go to bed when the sun goes down. But also, it allowed us to get far more nutrients from our food, which then allowed our brains to grow. So at a time when we had more time to use it, we also had the ability, our brains were developing the ability to think abstractly. Um, and so that's why it's like sitting around and if and they've studied hunter gatherer communities um, in Africa, some of the last hunter gatherer communities, 
And the things that they talk about are very specifically that they're far more kind of operational during the day, but then in the evening they become far more abstract and they start telling stories and communicating around, around ideas and thoughts. Um, and, and this continued until the advent of Facebook. Quite, yeah. <laughs> it just, it just stopped. <laughs> so, and then the brains, uh, brains switched off. Yeah. No, sorry, continue. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, this, this, so fire has been so, such a fundamental element in our own development as people. Um, and our and our relationship with storytelling and it kind of I like the the uh, the the analogy with with video and like the fact that like video can it can make it can make you but it can also break you and it can burn you but it can also give you a huge amount of enlightenment um, and so yeah so I started writing the book and um, really uh, looked to understand the the underpinnings of why video is such a powerful tool for communicating in the first place, but then also looking at how businesses can use it to, uh, to communicate now that, you know, we are all broadcasting platforms, if you like. Now that you've worked with like so many different companies, have you seen like a type of video or like a specific um, format that that's, that's worked well for companies that are kind of startups or, um, that don't that, that want to kind of build from the ground up like is there have you found that there's like a certain like on a website for instance is there a certain type of video that works well for certain industries or is it more like brand dependent into i mean i mean is it just like dependent on the on the type of people running the company like mm. what have you found um as you've done uh, all this work i th- so th- the best videos are the ones that are in some way connected to the business's purpose mm-hmm. um so you know anyone can make you know if you're a dentist anyone can make a film saying hey you know i'll make your teeth whiter than white but if you can say you know my purpose as a business my, my purpose as a dentist is to give people the confidence back the confidence to smile back right and and then you can tell the story of someone who never smiled properly they've always kind of done this sort of slightly fudge smile where they don't show their teeth but through working with you they were able to smile in the photos at their daughter's wedding right and and you've enabled that mm-hmm. like that's the kind of thing that's just far far more powerful. personalize the the individual experience and make, make it authentic absolutely yeah. yeah yeah for sure so uh so do you see any trends i mean there was a trend for a while where it was all explainer videos with the hand you know, writing on the whiteboard. Uh, what, what are the what are the newest trends that you see in in video marketing now? Uh, so, get you know, we've been doing a lot of these uh, sort of more documentary type films. So, how, how long are these shorter documentaries? Like how long? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a slightly interesting point. We sort of they might be you know ninety seconds to two two minutes thirty. Um, but then what we tend to do is just um, reversion those. So you do like a main cut for, for YouTube or for the client's website, but then you might do, you know, 5, 10, 15 reversions to go across all the different social platforms. Um, and the idea is that, you know, you're trying to create this funnel where, you know, people might cut, come in contact with them on Instagram or on uh, on Twitter and then click through. And that's how they then um, kind of get drawn into the into the main video channel. Have you ever been brought in by like um, 
even YouTubers or like, like seminar people or, you know, bigger, bigger names, like authors mm-hmm. to do like sizzle reels and things like that for them too, or anything like that. Yeah. 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 We do do. Um, I mean, it, you know, it, unfortunately one of the sort of the, the byproducts of being a kind of 50 person company with four offices is that we have a degree of overhead. And so like we kind of, we, we have to make money off the jobs yeah. that we do. And so you have a lot of, you have a, you have a 2000 square foot office in New York, man. Yeah. 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 No, I know that's, com- that's completely empty and has been for several months. Oh man. Yeah. So, uh, so now, uh, what's your, what's your feeling on portrait versus landscape mode? Do you, are you, are you, are you embracing it or do you still hate like when you have to do that, so, that, uh, portrait mode for cell phones? So sort of anecdotally, we see about 400% the effectiveness of portrait over uh, landscape when it's shared on, on the, a, uh, on a social platform. So it's like, it, it kind of like it's hands down. If you're sharing on uh, a, for mobile, it has to be portrait. Um, and, you know, yeah, as a filmmaker, as uh, like, we see the world in landscape and, you know, it's like, you know, we're not going to see TVs going portrait anytime soon, right. but, you know, as a marketer, like you're leaving a lot of potential on the table if, if you're not shooting portrait for, 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 for mobile. Now, is there, what, what do you see that's coming next? Like in this, like, is there anything that you're looking at as like a future trend that could possibly stem from video into the next iteration? Like, is there, could video transition into some sort of augmented reality mm. tech or AI storytelling or anything like that? Is there, is there anything that you think could happen like that? Uh, I mean, look, ultimately we're trying to create engagement with, with our audience. And so, um, anything we can do, which it moves beyond just pure gimmickry. I think one of the problems with a lot of the, you know, those technologies that have been used for marketing in the past is that once you've used them and you've seen them for 30, for 30 seconds, it's a bit like, okay, great. You know, I'm just going to go back. And, and it's one of the reasons why like a really powerful, great, well-told video is just so sticky. It's like, you know, you can go and you can have an experience where you, uh, you um you you travel around as like a three D environment online, and and that's and it's it's great, but like you know okay, so I can pick up a gin bottle and I can pour a gin, but I can't drink it, and the graphics <laughs> graphics not aren't yet. anything. Well, not yet, not yet. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, but I but I would say like if you can kind of take it back to first principles and say, well, you know how how is this going to seriously enhance the experience and the engagement with the with with your audience, um, then. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're kind of we're looking into how we can um, enhance virtual spaces with video um, and with uh, and kind of incorporate like LinkedIn and networking, so that we're sort mm-hmm. of trying to recreate the conference experience. Yeah, but for the but for virtual. Yeah, especially um, now because I mean, so many conferences are forced to be virtual right now, at least for the yeah. time being. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there's there's interactive is interesting. Um, you know, I, I think it there's something you know we've we've made a series of interactive videos which can be really useful for helping people to kind of you know experience a first day on the job or um there was a really excellent um uh, project called uh try life um by a guy in london uh well, actually he was based in the uk um and he got really frustrated he was a social worker he got really frustrated with these like young kids who'd make really stupid decisions like they'd go out with a knife or um, or like the girls would carry guns for their boyfriends 
and like you get caught with a gun in the UK and it's like mandatory prison sentence. You know, you, you send an 18 year old girl to prison for like five years. It's not going to, it just doesn't end well. And this guy was working with these kids and he's like, look, and we, we're going to create this platform where you can try life. Um, and so you go through these different scenarios and it's just, it worked really, really well. And like something like that, where like you're using technology to like directly improve the experience. Yeah. But it's also in- uh, giving somebody the ability to walk a mile in someone else's yeah. shoes. I mean, I've been reading a lot about uh, VR experiences with people who uh, have been arrested for like spousal abuse. And so they put them in an experience where they're the spouse or they're the child getting abused. And it, it, it's like the best type of, uh, therapy <laughs> imaginable. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I really, yeah, I really see that, but it's, it's not quite there yet. And I, as, as I've often said, it's, uh, until I can uh, wear some sort of suit or plug something into my brain and then have sex with Scarlett Johansson, uh, I'm not buying it. It's not interested. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the bar. That's yeah, the bar. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Pretty yeah. much. So, okay, well, we we got to wrap up the show. I mean, this is super, super fascinating. Well, let me ask one, one last question. Yeah. Do, do, you ever, do you ever regret not um, just going on YouTube from day one and building up a huge channel following and becoming a YouTube star <laughs> and just making money like that? Heard that ever regret? The world you, you know, channel. I mean, the, the great irony is that we were, like those 15 films we made, we were YouTubers before YouTube was even a thing. Like we were making, yeah, we made yeah. this video diaries. Do you ever see that South Park where they, where, um, all the original YouTubers were like trying to get paid for it and before before youtubers made money like yeah. there was like a there was a whole handful of videos that had like millions of views and went viral but no one got paid for it uh, and now like uh, you know these youtubers that i know that are making 30 40 50 thousand dollars a month uh, and so it's yeah. it's crazy how that's kind of evolved over time yeah uh, it, no regrets there i mean you've built it uh, you've built an awesome business so yeah i, I, love, I love the business i also i don't know i i just i don't like sharing i don't know i just have this sort of slight thing about kind of sharing stuff about um personal life personal life yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. No, not 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 like you know perfectly happy because you're normal that's yeah I'm yeah the idea of like yeah. walking around <laughs> I, with the camera started, and stuff all the time i started going down that path i'm like i'm going to see if i can be a youtuber and the amount of work and the amount of stuff i had to like you know yeah. it's just like it's man I don't need you, to... you have to produce content every day on youtube that's, yeah that's yeah insane. for years yeah, yeah and eventually you have to do that crazy. video because you pissed off the wrong people and then you're like you guys I'm sorry I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just want to say and then you do the fake tears and yeah. ah <laughs> so uh, so well uh, super fascinating uh, where can we find you where like if somebody wants to get a hold of you and you have you have you have like a like a charity too like you do the uh, yeah. the casual films uh, casual films academy. Um, yeah. So yeah. So we we train young people in filmmaking, and we make films for local charities. So we take our ki- our industry is in- and it's interesting. You know, this time is kind of quite um, prescient. But um, yeah, like uh, in representation from my from minority backgrounds in the video production industry is is incredibly poor because it's very hard to break into. A lot of companies expect you to do unpaid internships in major cities. It's kind of, yeah, it's like a massive barrier to entry unless you're kind of got significant kind of wealth behind or backing behind you. Um, so we set up this charity to train young people in, in filmmaking um, so they get the experience of working with a professional company, but then we make a film for a, a small local charity that wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise. So the charity gets the film, the kids get to the experience of working for an actual client who have a, has a brief, 
and who we do like we do an unveiling for and all the rest of it. So it's just it's a really nice example of a win-win. That's the, the Casual Films Academy. Um, and funny enough, it's something which we we've always funded it out of our cash flow as a company. Um, and I think as one of the results of you know what's been happening over the last um, few weeks is that we're we're very keen to really double down on it and and like kick it off, get some proper funding for it. And just and do it, do it, you know, all the time, really. That's cool. Of, what's what's your prediction for what's going to happen from here? What's your what's your five year prediction? Uh, for, for casual or for the world? For the world, I'm quietly optimistic that we, you know, we are going through a challenging period of readjustment. Um, I think the internet ultimately will have will be a, a force for good and we you know we just need to work out how to use it and in the same way that when cell phones first came out they were ringing all the time and people would just answer them you know you'd be halfway through a conversation people answer them then we realized that the etiquette is that you have it on silent and you get back to people and you know we just need to work out what you know how this whole thing needs to work and well we need to kill facebook that's step one right <laughs> there, <laughs> there is there, there is neighbors there is yeah well they're they're actually a client um oh, yeah. oh, 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 yeah. oh they're they're a very lovely company yeah. and mark zuckerberg is not an alien android yeah there are you know there are real, there are definitely challenges um in, um around communication online and i think the those massive you know multi multi billion companies 100 billion companies um, have got very rich off uh, monetizing other people's content and other people's lives. Um, and and they've become to... very powerful so fast that they didn't even realize the power that they accumulated, I think, is one of the things, too. I, I don't think they even do now, to be honest. Yeah, they may, they may not. They may not um, still understand how powerful they are. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and that's that's because it, it makes people crazy, and generally humans tend to go crazy collectively and regain their sanity one by one. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's... Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, but, but I don't know. I mean, I think uh, you know they need to look at ad funding. But you know, I just I think if if all the social platforms could not be ad funded, yeah. um, and you're hopping then, back and forth between England and uh, the United States, you're seeing like how both. I mean, they're, they're, in many ways, like some of our stories have kind of mirrored in in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of you got an interesting perspective because you're you're going international with it more. Well, um, Nick, you got to come out to to Amsterdam, and if you do. Uh, I would love to hang out with you and show you around. Uh, the Netherlands is an amazing country. I, I love it here. Love Amsterdam. Absolutely love yeah. it. And yeah, well, hopefully I'll be spending a bit more time there. So yeah, That'd be awesome, man. Well, be- before we go, uh, I want to find out what are what is the thing that you are most geeky about right at this moment? That's really, it's an interesting question. I So I, I, I love snowboarding. I, I live for it. And cycling is is massive. But I think the thing for me at the minute is is cooking um hmm. and funny enough one of the things being a filmmaker is uh i used to be extremely creative um and now running the company i spend a lot of time looking at um excel spreadsheets and <laughs> i have far less kind of creative output um and so yeah just stopping and being able to you know i went through the kind of sourdough bread stage but then i've started <laughs> making i've been making vermouth so I make oh, my really? own Negronis. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So it's a vehicle to express your creativity. It is. Yeah. You, the, is, yeah. Is there a cooking app that you like? Uh, so New York Times. Um, That's it, a good it's one. It's a subscription, but like it, they have got some fantastic recipes on there. I just, it was my wife's birthday on Sunday uh, and I made her their Lisbon chocolate cake, which I can oh. highly recommend. <laughs> 
any any video content that you're uh, consuming, like Netflix on Hulu and in the um, like on demand, like any cool uh, shows you're watching, anything? That, yeah, uh, movies. You're you're a movie guy. What's your what what are you into? You gonna go see Tenet in theaters? Yeah, uh, I mean, I lo- <laughs> Star Wars is is great. Su- succession is Succession is cracking. I lo- I really like Succession. I I um I think season three got delayed though. I believe. Yeah. Oh, it's delicious. It's delicious. It's delicious. Um, I do you watch was, Better Call Saul? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, that, that's a good one. Are you going to uh, see Tenet in theaters? That's my question. Uh, that's, that's Chris Nolan's new movie, by the way. So Chris oh, Nolan, is it? like, yeah, yeah, it comes out. It, it comes out next month, I think, or uh, July, uh, August. Of I loved, I loved Inception and The Dark Knight. were just oh. Christopher Nolan is one of the only filmmakers that has not made a bad film yet. Yeah. Even even his uh, worst movie, which I would say would be either Insomnia, uh, probably Insomnia. Yeah, yeah, but it's not bad. It's it's pretty good. Like yeah. all of his movies are are great. But well, the funny thing about Tenet is that even the the actors that were in it are like, I have no idea what this fucking thing's about. So right, <laughs> I still don't know what it's about after watching like all these previews for it. Uh, and, and that one, uh, they're releasing it in theater, so it's going to be one of the first um, in theater uh, attempts Ooh. after coronavirus. Um, so I, I don't know how that's going to fly in terms of uh, the theatrical box office, but the movie looks amazing. Mm. It's uh, it's got uh, I forget his name, but um, Denzel Washington's son. Oh uh, yeah, what's what's yeah. He's the main star, and then it's Robert Pattinson. Nice, um, but it, it looks Check good. It yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You didn't make, mention Quibi. Quibi, uh, I don't know Quibi. What's what's Quibi? Yeah, well, yeah, I think this is, the, this, is the, this is the problem. <laughs> no, I, uh, Quibi. Quibi. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, it was Jeffrey Katzenberg, who used to run Disney and DreamWorks, decided that it would be a great idea to have a paid uh, content service designed for the uh, cell phone set. So each little like a uh, TV shows that are maybe, you know, just a few minutes per episode. I, I think that's the dumbest idea. And they just laid off yeah. a ton of people, right? Yeah. 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 I think the, C- the CMO left like the, pretty much the day it launched which is not great yeah. not a great law <laughs> not a great look i i i remember hearing that now that you explain it but yeah. I, i've never you, known that much do you about think it, quibi's so. do you think quibi's done i think it's completely smoked yeah dead before it started yeah it's funny it's <laughs> yeah, what yeah they, it's what a number of my the friends idea was to, to get like jay-z and beyonce to make content that people would pay for yeah they spent like a it's, billion billion and a half dollars on on content now a- apple just landed um they landed the new Scorsese film with DiCaprio and De Niro, I think it is. Uh, so Apple just landed nice. that one uh, just recently. So that that uh, that could actually put them into a, a more powerful stream. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about the quality of the content, and which, funnily enough, sort of brings us back around to the conversation I guess we just had. Really, is like you know, it, it's no longer enough to just have a video on the site. Like it's all about the quality of the content, and like if Apple can make the best content, they win. If HBO make the best content, they win. You know, if, Net- yeah. if Netflix do it, they win. If yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine's a filmmaker, and he's like, "Ah, Netflix. That's where that's where quality goes to die." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I am uh, my geeky thing is uh, I've been I'm I'm creeping up on the last few episodes of Mr. Robot, mm. which is on uh, Amazon Prime here. I don't know what it is over there, but. Uh, my God, if you if you really want to go on a ride, Mr. Robot is insanely good. It is insanely yeah. good. It's one of the, I watched season yeah, one. I watched season one. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I just never picked up season two. Yeah, it's it, it just gets better. It's it's insanely good. Uh, Justin, what are you what are you geeky about right now? Um, man, I've just been loaded with uh, 
trying to stay on top of like all the work that's coming into me right now. Um, I'm kind of in one of those growth phases where I, I have to delegate more than I'm used to. So it's a, <laughs> it's been a bit of a, a bit of a shift, a bit of a challenge. Uh, and, um, but I, as far as like geekiness goes, like I've had no time to really consume content recently. So I've just been, uh, I have done a little bit of like studying on copywriting more, uh, which is kind of, uh, one of the main services that I'm making my money on. Um, and, and brilliant at it, might I add, Justin is one of the best copywriters I've ever met. Well, thank you. It's wow. True. It's I'm blushing. So, uh, well, I hope you yeah. get out of the, uh, out of the, the whole, the whole of work until, so you can, uh, see tenant at least, but, uh, with, I'll probably watch it at home, but I, I do. I mean, that's, that's, it sucks though, because that's, it's filmed for IMAX cameras too. So it's like, Whoa. maybe they'll re-release it a year from now. No, man, you gotta yeah. go see it at the theaters, man, mm. to hell with the coronavirus. Just, it's worth it. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> to see tenant. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Nick Francis, everybody. Thank you so much. For being on the show. Thank you for having me. Excellent. That was pretty cool. Man, I think, you know what? I think that video, that might, he might be onto something. I think it's going to take off. He might be onto something. Yeah, video just might take off. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that say it'll never happen, but maybe maybe he's onto something. Maybe, maybe. Standing next to me is my lovely, lovely wife, Iris Sturgeon, who's also helps produce the show. She helps. uh, you know, with uh, everything from social media to booking the guests to making sure that I'm standing in front of a microphone and I'm semi-coherent. Iris, um, <laughs> what, what are you geeky about right now? Oh, I was expecting that uh, question. Um, at this moment, I'm um, the most geeky about um, the fact that I've uh, been to the hairdresser for the first time since three or months or something. I was going to say, your hair yeah. looks really dynamite. That's why I say it, that like, you, now you know that you have to say <laughs> something about my hair. Um, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not kicking you about something specific. I'm just uh, enjoying this, uh, this ride. And uh, um, actually... How's the podcast going? Because you launched your podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, it's going very well. I um, uh, launched my fourth episode. Um, I got 10 subscribers and 400 downloads. Yay! But it's a, it's a start. And, uh, well, I looked up the um, subscribers uh, from this podcast on Castbox alone. There are almost 1,400. And, well, how many downloads do we have here? Just Seven. Uh, 315,000. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's amazing. And I can, I can tell guys really we got uh, like this week five requests from super cool guests again and uh, I'm booking started uh, uh, booking again uh, so we're now booking for somewhere in end of August September I think thank you for uh, producing the show uh, anything You're else welcome. you want to tell us no man I'm just super happy that's uh... <laughs> yeah too. thank you Iris yeah Iris Sturgeon everybody the lovely and talented here is Sturgeon. All right, man. So I guess that's it. That's another. I guess that wraps another another episode. Another huh? another fine episode of the Marketing Geeks. Any words of wisdom you want to leave us with? Um, man. Uh, no. No, I don't. All right. All right. <laughs> well, uh, everybody, stay safe. Uh, stay uh, active. Get out there and uh, don't break any windows, but uh, give them hell. That's all I can say. (laughs) And stay classy. Marketing Geeks.
Geeks. Come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. Bongo, Sturgeon, and Justin Womack. The fun will never end. It's Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks.